Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's Sports Podcast Hang Up and Listen for the week of December 26, 2016. On this week's show, we're bringing back some of our favorite guests for a special year-end edition. First up, Rob Tanner of the Lester Mercury. Will join us to talk about his crazy year covering Leicester City's amazing Premier League triumph and what's happened since the club hoisted the trophy. We'll then check in with Mina Kimes of ESPN. We'll talk to her about her story on Martellus and Michael Bennett of the NFL. And finally, we'll have another conversation with Anne Beatty, the widow of Basketball Hall of Famer and hang up and listen icon Zelmo Beatty. Joining me in Washington, D.C. is Stefan Fatsis author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Josh. Joining us, as always, from New York is Mike Pesca, the host of Slate's Daily Podcast, The Gist. Hello, Mike. Hello. How are you? Did you guys have a good Christmas? Well, I can tell you, my family just luxuriated in the Yule. Do you want to you reveal? You want to do the big reveal? <laughs> yeah, we're recording this. Disclose? The, we're recording this the week of December 5th. So our edition of Whimsy Watch will be like, hey, what, what about those? That guy was wearing some crazy socks. <laughs> <laughs> Could you believe what that fan threw on the field? <laughs> and the things that they wear on their heads to show that they're not really fans, even though they show up because they're fans. I can't believe Roger Goodell did that. So that's always, always uh, a good thing to say. So, yeah, we're recording this in advance. Uh, I don't think there will be any issues except maybe with the Lester segment like something could happen between uh the time we're recording this and december 26 so just be advised could they, could they propel themselves to the top of the tables i think that's mathematically impossible right, more right. likely they will propel themselves into the relegation zone while winning the uh champions league they're not going to win the champions league in the next two weeks but you know anyway i hope you're enjoying this the week of december 26th we will enjoy recording it the week of december 5th um and in our bonus segment. Wait, maybe for, you could listen to it the week of January 15th. You can listen to it whenever the hell you want, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
In our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we're going to talk with everyone's favorite hang-up guest panelist, Mina Kimes of ESPN. In our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we're going to talk with everyone's favorite hang-up guest panelist, Mina Kimes of ESPN, about her favorite story of 2016. There's never been a better time to sign up for Slate Plus for Slate's 20th anniversary. For a limited time, we're offering 30% off an annual membership, $35 for a year of Slate Plus with bonus segments of this and other Slate podcasts every week and a lot more. If you haven't joined, please sign up before this offer goes away. It is slate.com slash hangup plus. In our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, our last one of the year, we're going to talk about our favorite hang-up segments of the year uh, among the three of us, and we'll talk about our favorite sports events of 2016. There has never been a better time to sign up for Slate Plus. For Slate's 20th anniversary for a limited time, we're offering 30% off an annual membership. That's just $35 for a year of Slate Plus, with bonus segments of this and other Slate podcasts every week, and a lot more. So if you haven't joined Plus yet, sign up before this offer goes away at slate.com slash hangupplus. Back in May, 5001 underdog Leicester City clinched its first championship in England's Premier League. It was the best and most surprising title in a year in which the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series title since 1908. But we all must move on, and there's a new season, and let's look at the standings. And oh, uh, actually, Leicester's not doing that great. They're in 15th place in the 20-team Premier League, a lot closer to relegation than a repeat title. But I'm sure the English papers are going to give them time to find their form. Let's check in. Here's the mirror. It's official. Leicester City are the worst Premier League champions in history. Well, they are doing quite well in the Champions League. They're they're at the top of their group. Uh, joining us now, to put this all in context, one of our favorite guests from 2016, it's Rob Tanner. He writes about Leicester City for the Leicester Mercury, and he's the author of the book 5001, The Leicester City Story, How We Beat the Odds to Become Premier League Champions. Hey, Rob. Hi guys, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm wondering what the mood is like. The last check-in with you was right after the title. Um, and since then, so many things have happened. The Premier League uh, performance this year has been a disappointment, but they are doing great in the Champions League. So how are people feeling about the team? Um, well, it's a bit mixed at the moment, because obviously in the Champions League, they're going so well. They set uh, new records. They didn't concede a goal in the first four games, and which is a record for a club and debut in the competition. Uh, and they won the group with ease, with a game to spare. Uh, so in the Champions League, it's, it's another fairy tale on the back of last season's incredible title success. But in the league, their title defence has, has really started to fall away dramatically in, in the last few weeks. And there's a lot of concern left the fans that they, you know, they could become the first uh, reigning champion to be relegated the following season. That hasn't happened since Manchester City, and I think it was in 1938. So uh, I think there's genuine concern that um, you know the euphoria and uh, the, the success that they enjoyed that they that they feasted on throughout the summer has left them lacking the hunger to go again. Hmm. Is that the explanation, Rob? We're talking to you, by the way, in early December. This is uh, if you're listening to this, it is late December. So Leicester very well may be in the relegation zone now. To what do you attribute the fall off, Rob? I mean, the, this is a pretty dramatic drop. Not that I think sentient premiership fans would be completely surprised. 
Uh, well, you know, the season before they won the title, they were bottom of the league for 140 days, and it's pretty much the same group of players. So, right. you know, it's, whilst it's a complete drop away, they had a phenomenal climb last season as well. But I think there's a number of factors. N'Golo Kante, the French midfielder, was a revelation last season for them. He he did the work of two men and uh, he enabled them to play the system that they they adopted so um, successfully. But he was sold in the uh, in the summer to Chelsea. Uh, they didn't, couldn't really stand in his way. He had a release clause in his contract, which Chelsea met. So they lost one of their best players. They managed to keep the rest of them. But uh, I think there's, um, for me personally, I think those lads were so hungry and driven and determined to achieve something remarkable last season. And now they've uh, they achieved it and they spent the summer uh, enjoying the fruits of their labour in, in many ways. I mean, normally in pre-season we go to Ilkeston and Rotherham and Barnsley for, you know, rather unglamorous pre-season warm-up games. This summer, we went to LA and we went to Stockholm to take Bar- on Barcelona and then they had the Community Shield at Wembley. It's just been a roller coaster ride that none of these players are, are, are used to. They've never been in this situation before and I think they've found it hard to raise themselves again for the challenge of the Premier League for the following season. The Champions League, they've been able to do it because it's all new, it's all unique for them. Uh, but uh, in the Premier League, it's, uh, you know they've really found it difficult. Well, what about the opponents? Are, are they being uh, strategized against in a more intelligent way? Or is it just that everyone wants to beat the champion, and whereas you would not necessarily take the game off, but that wouldn't be the one you circled on your calendar? Now it certainly is. Well, absolutely. I, mean, I think they took everybody by surprise last season, and uh, I think there was a, an element that some teams underrated them, uh, but then paid the price for that. And this season, nobody's taking Leicester City lightly. As you quite rightly say, they are a scalp. They are the champions of England, and uh, it is notable that sides like Middlesbrough are raising their game when they uh, take on uh, Leicester City. Uh, and I think there's an element as well that um, Leicester are trying to adopt similar tactics to last season, and you know the opposition are aware of them now. They're, of their strengths and their weaknesses and where they can hurt them and uh, they're just sort of doing that now they're doing a number on Leicester City and uh, they've got to find the answers to that they've got to respond they've got to find another way they've got to find a plan B and they're just struggling to do that at the moment So after um, you know a championship like this or you know after a city comes to prominence kind of out of nowhere you'll hear people say oh that really put them on the map Um, is that Something that actually happened in Leicester. Do you have people like coming to town who never would have come before? Are there kind of tangible changes in the place itself that you've noticed? Oh, it's done wonders for the economy of Leicester, for the city and of the county. Uh, I think so. I think the estimate was something like 120 million pounds worth of business came in on the back of. Um, Leicester City's title success, and but it has put Leicester on the map. I mean, before people didn't know where Leicester was. I can remember speaking to some American radio shows around the time when they were at the top of the table last season, and they, they thought that Leicester was just outside London. It was a suburb of London. I have to remind them he was in the Midlands, and, we, and one guy couldn't even say Leicester; he called it Leicester. So yeah, people knew absolutely nothing about Leicester, and uh, and certainly of the football team. So, but this is what just is evident about sports teams in general, they're our focal point for a community. And when the, the sports team succeeds and does well, everybody else is aware of what that uh, area is. You know, it brings so much money and revenue to, to, to Leicester, and uh, it's been remarkable. 
Rob, you've had a pretty crazy year yourself. You pounded out a, a book chronicling the season. You've traveled with this team all over the world. Um, probably not what you expected uh, when when you took on the Leicester beat uh, a, a few years ago. What, what were the weirdest things you've seen in the past year? Oh, so many. I mean, the press conferences with um, Claudio Ranieri have been remarkable. I mean, as they do when the team football team's doing well over here, you know, the local butcher will cook up a sausage, especially for them. And we had the Ranieri sausage come to the press conference, which I felt for the butchers because Ranieri wouldn't eat it because he stunk of garlic and it really did stink the whole media sweet out. So he was telling them to feed them to his sharks, referred to all the journalists in the room. And then we had a couple of Italian um, uh, presenters, television show presenters. They invaded one press conference, started dancing around with what looked like chilli peppers hanging off their fingers, and it turned out they were bull's horns, which was really bizarre. I mean, uh, the previous manager, Nigel Pearson, was uh, a very uh, downbeat and, you know, a bit dour. Uh, but Claudio Ranieri, his press conferences have just been surreal in, in many ways with some of these strange antics that have been going on. But uh, I think the highlight for me, though, has been going around the world. I mean, surreal just to watch Leicester City take on Barcelona in the International Champions Cup. Coming to LA, that was a, a magical week in LA, watching them take on Paris Saint-Germain. You know, as I said earlier in the show, uh, when I first started, Leicester City just got promoted back to the Championship, the second tier of English football, having been in League One, the third tier. And, uh, you know, there wasn't much glamour around then. You know, I remember going to Barnsley on a Tuesday night when it's freezing cold and the toilet is just a gutter in the floor at the back of the stand. And uh, now, you know, we're getting used to going to Old Trafford and uh, the Etihad Stadium, the Emirates, Stamford Bridge, and all these these great uh, cathedrals to, to English football. And it's just been such a special time altogether. You ever watch Behind the Music? Do they have that there? VH1 yeah, Behind? Yeah, I've seen Behind the Music, yeah. yeah. It seems like a rise, a fall, and then you could either play it out like Huey Lewis in the news, hey, we had a good time, or could really destroy you. It will, we'll never be able to capture <laughs> that again. <laughs> Well, I think there's an element of that. I think the Leicester fans sort of realised that, you know, what happened was so unique, yet so special. They don't expect Leicester City to win the title again anytime soon. I mean, I'm sure they would have expected um, Leicester to have started the season a bit better than they have done, but uh, I don't think anybody was uh, thinking that they were going to go for the title again this season. Uh, so they have sort of milked it to the ninth degree, and I don't blame them. They've never won a title before in their history. This is going back to 1884 when, uh, when Leicester Foss were first formed. That's the original name for Leicester City. And, uh, you know, so they really are enjoying themselves. But it does feel like, you know, that was just a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And so is the Champions League this year. So they won't qualify for next season unless they win it. And I can't see that. So I think everybody's just determined to enjoy the ride. Uh, Jamie Vardy, as we speak, hasn't scored in 16 games. Yeah. Is that is that is that biopic still uh, on, <laughs> on the table? Have they started <laughs> filming that yet? Because they better finish pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they are uh, very much in production uh, for, for that. They are. Okay. That, is, that, will, that will happen, yeah. That film will happen. Um, and they were in the middle of um, casting the last I, I heard and uh, getting all the arrangements in place because what happened last season was such a fairy tale. It was a Hollywood movie, wasn't it, in many ways. The uh, lad from the back streets of Sheffield, rejected by his hometown club, gave up football for a while, had to play with a, an ankle tag on because he got into trouble for, with the police and 
and then suddenly become the, the hot shot of the English Premier League. And uh, he's found it a lot more difficult this season, though. It's uh, it's not a case of him missing chances. It's They're not creating chances for him now. And uh, it just looks like he's a confidence player anyway. I can remember when he first joined the club and he admitted then that he thought the jump up from non-league straight to the championship, the second tier, he felt was too much for him and he, and he didn't believe in himself and uh, a lot of the coaching staff got around him and tried to help him in that regard and, and when he's full of confidence you see he flies but uh, at the moment he's really struggling um, he might need to take be taken out of the side for a couple of weeks and just uh, just for him just to reflect and then come back a little bit fresher but uh, it's a real bit of a struggle for him at the moment So my final thought is you know we've talked a lot about the team and Maybe it's harder for them to get motivated this year after you know having won it last season. Are you kind of becoming a handful in the Lester Mercury office? Are people like, man, Tanner is just like so being such a, a jerk now, you know, because uh, he won the you know the the championship and you know that guy's uh, you know his writing's just not up to stuff anymore. Like, are you are you becoming a handful for your for your colleagues? Oh, absolutely not. They hardly ever see me. <laughs> I'm hardly <laughs> ever in the office these days. Uh, you know, I'm here, there, and everywhere following Leicester City around. I mean, uh, as we record this tomorrow morning, I'm flying out to, to Portugal for Porto. That'll take me out of the office for three days. And next week, we've got an away game down in Bournemouth on the south coast. So I'll be uh, stopping over in Bournemouth. So they hardly ever see me in the office. I think they will, when I wander in sometimes, I think I'm a complete stranger who's just walking off the street. <laughs> I'm security don't stop me every now and then. In fact, my security pass didn't work the last time I was in the office. I've been away that long. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, they, they don't really know what to make of it all. All right, Rob uh, Tanner is the author of 5001, The Leicester City Story, and he covers Leicester City for the Leicester Mercury. Rob, thank you so much for coming back on the show. really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. For our next guest on our year-end show, the listeners demanded the, <laughs> the favorite uh, hang-up fill-in panelist, the Joan Rivers of this podcast. I mean that all, in the, the most positive way that you could invoke the legend Joan Rivers. It's Mina Kimes of ESPN. Hello, Mina. Hi. How's it going? It's going fantastic. And we had you on a bunch of times in 2016 to talk about a bunch of different things, but um, one story of yours that we did not get a chance to talk with you about was your profile of the Bennett brothers, which was my favorite Mina Kimes joint of the year. Um, you, you enjoyed working on that one, I presume. Yeah. So I got to do this story in the summer, which is when most of the fun NFL stories happen because the players actually have time to hang out. So I got to spend really like three days with Michael and Martellus Bennett um, just hanging out in L.A. And... We've got like a collection of quotes here <laughs> because ESPN helpfully produced a story that is the best quotes from uh, the Mina Kimes story about Michael and Martellus Bennett. Oh, they Ste aggregated my own story. They, they aggregated <laughs> your story. Awesome. Stefan, you had a favorite uh, 
favorite one there. I did. Uh, I think Martellus on Eli Manning might be my yes. favorite. He's cool. Yes. He's like a normal white guy you see at the park trying to teach his kids how to play soccer, and you know he can't really play soccer himself. It's perfect. That's one of those moments as a writer when the, the athlete is so much better at coming up with a comparison than you that you feel ashamed. Yeah. It was so accurate and on the money. I was just kind of went blank for a moment. <laughs> So good. So Jay Cutler is not the one. That one's not really like funny, but it's just candid. Yes. Michael says worst quarterback in the NFL, and his brother, who was on the team with Jay Cutler, says I'd be open, and he'd throw into double coverage. Uh, <laughs> no, he's not wrong. Um, I, I think so. Basically, yeah, I had a whole section where it's just a list of quotes. Uh, mostly critical quotes, I think, because there were so many in the piece that I didn't feel like I could fully just work them into the story. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have this section. Um, and many of them were pretty negative. <laughs> well, you, know what was, you, know, you know what was great about it? Usually when we find a colorful uh, person in the, in the industry that is the NFL, uh, so if it's a quarterback, we allow him to be colorful. But it's usually a person who causes controversy in some way, and then we find out, oh, actually, knee-jerk radio is getting Richard Sherman wrong, or whoever it is. But the Bennetts come to us not in the original sin of like committing some huge penalty or being a flashpoint for controversy. You just found them to right. be delightful, <laughs> and they were delightful, and we didn't have any of the uh, negativity associated with them. I think what's also unusual is that they're really good. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of the more colorful characters in the NFL tend to be on the margins. Um, and and the, the stars in the NFL are usually more muted or political in their quotes, uh, Richard Sherman aside, which is, I think, less to do about alienating other players and more to do about, you know, maintaining their brands and, and fearful PR people and that kind of thing. Uh, but the Bennett's are both elite players at their positions, which is why I was kind of so amazed. It's so rare to find a star who's willing to be candid. Right. They, they come off as inoffensive even when they're being offensive. They're <laughs> hard not to like. They're impossible not to like. I don't like. know if Jason Witten agrees with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found them inoffensive. You, I, you say that, I say that, but, you know, it was there. The, when the quotes came out, they were a little bit divisive. Um, what was the Jason Witten one? I hated Jason Witten. <laughs> I appreciated his game, but I always hated him. But what they they've done is, I think, told fans that look, this is a workplace like any other. There are a yeah. lot of assholes on NFL teams, and not everybody gets along with everybody else. Jay Cutler alienated players in his locker room from the day he showed up in Denver. Which yeah. I was in the locker room that summer when Jay Cutler showed up and <laughs> alienated everybody and was a shithead. You were open that whole summer and he just threw into double coverage. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what? yeah, it's accurate, right? I mean, they're saying things like maybe they called JJ Watt corny. That, this isn't the first NFL player who I, I've talked to who feels that way about JJ Watt. Um, it's just that they're going on the record with these things. So there's another category of player um, who we didn't mention who's colorful, and that's like, Terrell Suggs, who's like, oh, I went to Ball So Hard University, T-Sizzle, and like yeah. writers celebrate him. And he's just an enormous asshole yeah. who's like a, who's a domestic <laughs> abuser. Right. The guy who um, takes the opportunity when they do the uh, on-screen identification will say something wacky about his elementary school. Mm -hmm. I don't, And I don't know if this is a conscious decision on Suggs' mm -hmm. part, but it seems like the way that it's played out is that his like so-called wacky personality obscures what his real personality right. is. And you get the sense mm -hmm. that 
you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, this guy's unfiltered. And but it it does seem legitimately like you were getting who these guys really are. And and that fans and people who read your story are getting a sense of who they really are. I think it speaks to what people crave out of NFL players because it's all too rare, which is authenticity. Right. I mean, the reason we love Steve Smith Sr., who also says crazy stuff, um, which tends to be more tinted with just his insane competitiveness and aggression, is that we believe him. When he says, you know, he wants to play so hard that people have to put on goggles because there's going to be blood, blood and guts on the field. You believe him when he says that, which is crazy, you know, and I think that I is love why that he's he like he's concerned enough about the fact that there's going to be blood and guts that he wants the other players to wear protective eyewear. Yeah. He's thoughtful. He's also old, which, you know, he's 37, which in NFL years is like 80. Uh, so he has that kind of like the older he gets, the more he can get away with, I think. Um, and it hasn't abated at all. He continues to talk just so much shit every year after year. But, he, but he's believable. And I think these these guys are believable, too, when they say stuff. Right. And it's beyond believability, though, because it's also that they are interesting people who have – a moral and social consciences who have thoughts that have am- and have ambitions that extend beyond their careers. They are the NFL players who are willing to say the truth about the NFL is that it's temporary, it's violent, it's damaging, and I've got other interests. And that's, I think, refreshing to hear yes. as a fan. I mean, it makes you, it, it actually makes you like the NFL more knowing that you're not just watching these guys who are playing three year, the best three years of their lives, and that's it, knowing that it's actually something they've chosen to do, but they have this life outside of football. Although, it, I, I bet that you analyze this and you say, well, why was that article so good? Because I had such good uh, subjects. Why were they good subjects? Well, the dynamic was they were playing to each other. It wasn't reporter and subject. They could make each other laugh, and you were there to write it all down. I don't know if there's a way to... Wait, re- Mike, you're forgetting this part of the story. I ask him what he grows there. Martellus leans over and interrupts, D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know about Bofa. I, I think I left this out of the story. Oh, my so God. I Bofa'd Martellus, <laughs> and he was like, what did you just do to me? And he was so delighted that he then proceeded to Bofa like three people in front of me over the course of the weekend. Who knows how many people have experienced the greatness of Bofa just because of me. I hope that I hope that we have uh, a family listening to this podcast uh, over Christmas around the tree and the you know the husband leans over to the wife and says, "What's Bofa, honey?" Oh, it's a <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, but you're right. I part of the, the, the nice cake. thing about this is <laughs> getting to watch them play off each other, which I think also engendered a greater amount of honesty than you would have with just a reporter and a stranger. Right. In a room. They're also brothers. Yeah. They also have an interesting background. They have stories to tell from their childhood that are I mean, that are emotional and really tear-jerking. Um, when which one got sick? Which Michael one? did, yeah. Michael's, and so well, I, his appendix burst when he was nine. Yeah, years old. he was hospitalized for several months. That's their theory as to why he's six four and Martellus is six seven. But I don't know if that's true. But um, yeah, he he was really really sick. Um, his appendix burst, and they caught it just at the last second. And when they were telling me this story, uh, as I mentioned in my piece, they both started crying, and I it was so jarring and unexpected given the tone of the rest of the interview that I was almost like, are they screwing with me? Uh, but they actually were very emotional. I mean, they, it's know, an elaborate to- setup to like a months long D's nuts joke that hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't yet uh, concluded. Yeah. Uh, come out, yeah. I want to ask you something. You mentioned that, I mean, or we all 
mentioned that it seems so insane to us that the NFL markets these players as just part of a machine and we very much want to find out about their personality and it's refreshing to us as fans. And when we look at the NBA, they seem more like real people. But I wonder if the NFL is really miscalculating because there is a good percentage of its fan base that is, uh, you know, cranky old white guy who bemoans the fact that no one raps when they tackle. And that's why they like the NFL for, you know, the old school portions. And so then a niche with in uh, covering the NFL or NFL culture can be these kinds of stories. And with the way the media works now is if you want to find that, I suppose you can. And everyone is therefore satisfied. Or am I uh, being too kind to the stodgy old white guys running the NFL? (laughs) I think you're right about the specifics of these guys. And, you know, they do say provocative things. And, you know, I, I, there's a certain subsect of the NFL population that doesn't like it when Michael Bennett talks about Black Lives Matter in a review. And then there's a large population that loves it, you know, including myself. But I, I think NFL fans, regardless of how old or white or male they are, do crave some sort of glimpse into the humanity of these players. I made a joke the other day when it was during a Cowboys game when Dak fumbled that they should cut to Tony Romo. And if it was like The Bachelor, they would have him for like an in-camera interview just ready every time Dak screws up. But people would love It's a joke, but like people love that. Every time they cut to Romo, it's like so enthralling and enticing to be reminded that these are human beings yeah. who are feeling yeah. real things and competing for their jobs. And I do think the NFL would benefit from exposing that as much as possible. Cutting to Jay Cutler always- too, by the way. Jay Cutler mm-hmm. does serve that purpose as well when he's on the sidelines or on when he wears the bike. when he wears the floor length uh, windbreaker coat with the hood up, that's my favorite. His faces are amazing. Yeah. Everybody loves it. You're like, oh my god, who is this guy? You know, and and people want that. I don't care how old or whatever you want it. It's just soap opera for you know old men. Uh, a couple other questions for me. Martellus has this animation company called Stupid Buddy Studios. Is he just wasting his money? Oh, that's not his company. So he he has a company that's just a small creative agency called the, I think, Imagination Agency. So he's just working with them. So he's part. Yeah. So that's actually a very successful business. I think they have produced a few animated shows. But Uh, is is Martellus's company going to be a success or is he just uh, throwing his money away? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I also had recently moved to LA and I have no idea what success is here because everyone's always doing stuff like this here. Yeah. Like when Martellus was like, I'm working on a show and I'm like, yeah, you and everyone else here in LA. So yeah. And, and, then, the more, <laughs> I, and then the more successful you get, the more you dress like a homeless guy. So you can't even tell from external signifiers. <laughs> it, it's, it's just perplexing. I have no idea. No and, idea. And so I, I imagine I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Brian Curtis just did this piece for the ringer on the Warriors and how they're covered and went into some of the differences in the players and their interactions with the media. And like Draymond will apparently explicitly say to the reporters before he says a provocative quote, like, hey, guys, I'm going to give you something good right here. And he's like, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's like excited to like have people (laughs) report like the crazy stuff that he says. And so I'd imagine that like when the brothers, when your story came, came out and their quotes about Eli Manning and Jay Cutler were in there, like they weren't pissed off at you. Like they, they knew what they were saying and like their intentions were on the page. I think that they they knew, but some of the stuff they were a little surprised by because while they do say very colorful things in press conferences, they're kind of able to prepare for that. In this case, I was such a fly on the wall that they forgot a lot uh-huh. of the stuff that they were saying to each other. Some of them, they were like, oh man, like I forgot that I, I said that and wow, people are really running with it. And that was a little bit surprising. But um, unlike many players in the NFL, they're 
pretty open about who they are and sort of prepared to deal with the consequences of that being revealed. You know, uh, aside from the cutting quotes about Eli Manning and Jason Witten and, and Jay Cutler, I thought the most provocative thing in the piece, Mina, was when Martellus said to you, do you know what the NFL stands for? And you either said or you write, no fun league, not for long. And he replies, Mina. Oh, sorry. I didn't want to say it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Should we say it? We can Is that okay? I didn't know. I don't know. It uh, sounds so weird coming out of my mouth. That's fine. What do you want me to do? N-word for lease? Yeah. I had never heard that when he said it, which is why I guessed differently. And then afterwards, I Googled it, and it wasn't like a saying, like a widely used thing at all. I don't know if he thought it up or whatever, but I was pretty shocked. And also, I, I felt, like you just said, a lot of people didn't really notice that because they were so fixated on the Jason Witten and Jay Cutler disses, rightfully so, perhaps. Um, but it is a very provocative and perhaps, you know, accurate statement, I thought. Yeah, and, it, and I think it, it demonstrates the depth of their thought about their profession and that even though Absolutely. they are successful NFL players who are among the the minority that have made literally millions of dollars, they recognize that in the scope of the revenue of this league and the ownership structure and the fact that there have been, as they point out to you, zero African-American owners in this league, that their goals in life aren't just to play. They are, as Martellus says, I want to build, I want to make. Growing up, black people never owned anything. Yeah, you, you asked earlier, or Josh asked earlier about his creative agency and kind of what his game there was. And I think that really plays into it, which is that they're both very interested and almost obsessed with this concept of ownership, yeah. you know, being providing a service that could they could be cut at any time. They know all too well that they're not owners and they don't have control, wanting to be able to at least convert that or leverage it into some source of long-term wealth is very important to them. And I think a really interesting, I guess, view on the NFL. Cool. All right, Mina, uh, thank you so much for uh, being a loyal hangout panelist, <laughs> the fan favorite. I still get con uh, emails about that weird Patrick Peterson story. <laughs> like the worst. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for having me. All right. And just make sure you uh, eat first before you go to Patrick Peterson's mom's house <laughs> next time. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I will. For our last 
interview of the year. We're going to go back to one of our favorites and one of the the crowd favorites. It's uh, Ann Beatty. We spoke to her after her uh, husband, Zelma, was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame in September. Ann, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, what's uh, what's new in life since we last spoke? Uh, nothing, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, well, so th- there was a lot of ground that we didn't get to cover in our first interview, though. So after um, we talked, we found this uh, article from 1965 from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch when Zelma was on the Hawks that got into sort of the tips that you would give him about his game, about, you know, where you would get the box score and look at it with him on the car uh, after the games. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, because I went to all the games unless I was ill or the children were ill. So, you know, I watched. I was interested. I still watch. So. I, I love the headline on the story, which is Ann Beatty's savvy keeps Big Z minding P's and Q's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a hottie for <laughs> It's been so long ago, you know, I don't remember. The impression that the story gives, though, is that you were, a, you know, you were a close watcher of what was happening on the court and wanted to examine the box score to my, help Zelmo mind his P's and Q's. Yeah, yeah, I tried. I tried to help. Which were the, which were the statistics that you would hone in on? Were there thresholds to get or were they uh, against opponents? What's a, give me a typical Ann Beatty talking to her husband. Oh, you got out-rebounded today, Big Z. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, I can't remember any particular stat like today. You know, there's yeah. so many. Um, probably scoring. I watched that. Uh, because usually they're paid for scoring, not not for the other things, you know. Right. And and Zelma um, was a great defender, you know. That doesn't show up in the box score, as they say. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I think on one of his teams, they penalized him if they didn't defend or rebound properly. Like they would take their money away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, $5 here. We're talking way back. And so... Today it would not work unless the, you know, they had to pay a lot more. But then it, it it gave them incentive because they were paid if they did well too. So you know, a little extra. What kind of a critic were you? How did you massage the psychology of the uh, professional athlete? And and how was Zelmo in terms of uh, taking your criticism and your your coaching tips? Yeah, would he be like in a bad mood if they if they lost? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes there was depression when they'd lose. Uh, especially in the playoffs if they lost too soon. Um, the way we discussed it, it, there was never any problem with it. I wasn't, you know, terrible or anything. I was just trying to be a good critic. <laughs> well, well, if so nothing you... else, it added, it seems to have added structure and accountability. And I think that if you study athletes, there are different ways that they get their motivation, some intrinsic, some extrinsic, perhaps it even strengthened your relationship. There's basically everything good about this um, tradition from a performance standpoint, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, some of the guys need their families to be involved and some of them don't, but he he preferred the family angle. So uh, I would just pay attention, and we'd discuss it, and probably also how the team played around him. Uh, 
mm-hmm. on that particular night. So since there were five of them, you know. So you guys met at Prairie View in college. What was it like at school, and how did you guys meet? Uh, I was working in the um, dining hall. They called it mess mess hall during those times, like the army. Anyway, and so uh, he had a friend that worked next to me, someone he knew from high school, and he was he was quiet in a way, but he was always trying to charm extra food, <laughs> you know. So he had a way of doing it, um, and I met him through through his friend from high school. So was he trying to like go after all the people that worked in the dining hall? Like no, no, he was getting extra pork chops, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> but but I, my question is like, did it make you feel less special because he was asking everyone for extra pork chops and not just you? Uh, no, because probably I was on the meat that particular day. <laughs> no, it didn't bother me. I, I read a story that said that there was a game uh, that we used to go, as you said, to every all the college basketball games. And Zelma was quoted as saying that you always sat in the exact same spot. And there was a game, he is quoted as saying that we were playing Jackson State for the right to go to the National Small College Tournament. We had a very poor first half. When we came out for the second half, I saw that Anne wasn't sitting where she should be. In fact, I couldn't locate her at all. I wondered if she had gotten so disgusted with us <laughs> that she had left. I probably didn't leave. I probably just couldn't get that particular seat. <laughs> it's, he said, that, "Yeah, you said that you moved up a lot farther in the stands, and that he. I thought he'd get the idea all right. So yeah. maybe, maybe you were disgusted with uh, with Zelmo's play and the team's play." There were some days, not many, because he was a fighter, but there were some days where, you know, they just don't have it. It's just not there on some days. Yeah, yeah. When you were uh, dating him in college or even when you met him in that uh, pork chop gambit that you uh, described, <laughs> was he what was was he the he was literally the big man on campus. He was the big Z. But was the status of the athlete as exalted back then as it is now, you know, gods on a campus uh, sort of thing? Uh, to a degree. Now, remember that you have the football team first mm-hmm. during those days and then the basketball players. But, you know, because of his size and uh, his personality, um, he was easier to like or get along with because the football players were usually obnoxious <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, not endearing to most girls. So that probably was the difference. He and his teammates were good guys. What about the refs? Like, would would he complain about the refs? Would you complain about the refs? Were you ever in the stands and just like yelling, like, you know, I can't believe you made that call? No. <laughs> I mean, I would complain about the refs to him or, you know, some of our friends or teammates, but never, uh, no, I never said anything uh, to the refs. The only time I spoke out to someone was a fan in St. Louis who, um, I think Sam might have been a rookie that year. And he was, you know how some people get one person they're just going to beat up on that night? And Mm -hmm. he just went on and on and on. And I was probably six seats from him. And I finally said something to him. And he stopped because I let him know, okay, that's enough. But other than that, I never 
I never said anything to anyone in the stands. Were the crowds back then, like in St. Louis, was it kind of a, a mixed crowd, like white fans, black fans, um, or, you know, what was the scene like at the Hawks games? Probably, there were a few blacks, but probably mostly whites, mostly whites, you know, uh, not a lot of blacks, but a few loyal blacks you always had there. Did you notice much of a change during Zelmo's career in the makeup of the fan base and the, the way that black players were treated by fans and by front offices? And I know Zelmo obviously played a role in, in getting better representation and better acknowledgement and pay for, for African-American players? Uh, it changed over, the t- over time, you know, gradually and slowly. Um, and it was tough at times, but, you know, you couldn't really say it was that tough when the, you know, sports uh, salaries were different from everyday people's salaries. So, but... Uh, In the big picture, it was, at times, it was rough. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, he was, was he a player coach in the ABA with the Virginia Squires? Yes, he went there. I never went, but he went there and he tried, and that was interesting. So what did he, uh, what were his (laughs) reflections on trying to to coach a team, not just play on them? Well, uh, at times, they didn't have enough funds. Mm -hmm. You know, the money wasn't there, and so the players they didn't know sometimes when they'd go to the games if they would even have a game uh, because of the salaries. But that's the most I knew about that. That was one of the teams where he, they owed him money in the end. He never received it. Hmm. Yeah, I the think. The rest th- of it. I think Those that. Kinds the- of things. The Virginia Squires uh, went out of business the year he coached. I, th- I guess they were taken over by the league or possibly no one. And maybe and that explains why they weren't. Yeah, that, you can understand. That's what part of the problem was. Yeah, uh, they just didn't even know if they were going to get paid. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, the NBA now is uh, a little different. I guess that was the. Yeah. A- I yeah, guess that was. That was the ABA. But you yeah. mentioned that you still keep up with the game. Um, what are your you know favorite players now? What teams do you like to watch? And what do you think of the style of play and pro basketball now? Well, the style today is is really uh, exciting, you know, the way they play, because they weren't allowed to do that, you know, during his time, all the wild flying and dunking. (laughs) It was not allowed. But once the ABA merged with the NBA, a lot of that carried over, and it's exciting, you know, for the younger fans especially. Um, I love watching the Splash Brothers, and now they have... Durant, which a lot of people hated, but I think it's interesting that they have him there too at his age. Yeah. But then there are others, you know, uh, they're the West Coast, so I see them all the time <clears throat> on TV. Uh, who else is there? Well, I wanted to ask you about Golden State because there's been kind of a split and a lot of, you know, players who came up around Zelmo's time or even after said, oh, like, I would never have done like Durant did and gone to a team that had already won a championship. Um, what do you think about that line of thinking? Well, it's probably easy for them to say that today, but Durant is not. We were in Seattle when he started, and, you know, he's always been good. 
but I don't, I can't remember his age, but I mean, he's not 25 <laughs> anymore. So going to a team that would help carry him, a, you know, a group of younger players. Probably was a good move, and it didn't hurt him financially. And Certainly not. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I think the whole thing was to work so you could get paid. So some of the complaints uh, that we've heard for guys, older guys are saying they wouldn't have done it that way. Well, maybe not, but it's not there. You know, it's not that choice. And what's it been like since the Hall of Fame election and ceremony? And, and have you had some time to reflect on what that means to you and what it would have meant to Zelma? Uh, for him, it would have meant uh, everything. Like I told you before, we would have had trouble containing him. But uh, for us, it, it was very nice. We had a a good weekend and... Um, We'd never been there before, so it was exciting to see how that works. You know, you see it on TV, but it's nothing like being there. So it's it's been nice. It was the highlight of our year, so that's a good thing. What do you get? Do you get swag? Do you have uh, what do you have at, in your in your living room to to, to remember <laughs> the weekend? Uh, we're not quite settled in here yet, but anyway, you get there's a huge trophy that weighs about thirty pounds exaggeration but it's heavy uh they get they gave them they inaugurated a new ring they they got that um they got jerseys they got um the jacket of course trying to see what else uh they do special basketballs you know with their images on it so we have a lot of things we can display with of all the teams you guys were most connected to, I suppose the Hawks would be the most. Now, is Zelmo's uniform retired by the Hawks? Well, the Hawks, you know, when he left, he left the, the league and went to the ABA. Yeah. And so the Hawks, I don't even know if they claim him very hmm. much. Um, his, his, uh, the jersey we used in the Hall of Fame was from the uh, Utah Stars. <sighs> and... and so that was your choice, I imagine. Yeah, because um, they had the, you know, naturally he was there last. So we could get more information from that, from them than we could from the Hawks. Oh, really? So but, the Hawks don't even act as if this is a part of their history necessarily? Well, I don't know what happened because, you know, I, I, they, could, they had trouble finding us yeah. to make it to the Hall of Fame celebration. But I don't know what the deal is. Um, with the Hawks, because like I said, when we left, it was not, you know, in friendly terms. Mm -hmm. The organization has changed since then, you know, new owners and whatever. And the owner did apologize to him. <clears throat> the one we had when we were there, uh, when he saw him later in life, because it wasn't great. I mean, they didn't even try to pay him to keep him. So, mm -hmm. But the stars aren't the stars aren't the Jazz. They were their own team that just sort of went away. So there's no institution. Uh, he's he's in the Hall of Fame as a Utah star. I don't know if anyone else is. And there's no existing uh, team that he is most tied to. I guess. Uh, he, I think the Lakers, the Lakers. Right. You know, because uh -huh. that was his last year to get his retirement. 
So the Lakers, you know, there's a jersey there, and you have the the stars. The Hawks, it's they recognize them, but it's minor. It's not like, you know, they really remember them or anything. Like I said, because when he left, it wasn't it wasn't good. Right. He had to sit out that year. Um, so that was hard to deal with because they didn't want him, but they didn't want him to go to the ABA naturally. Right. It is funny. We know the big stories of people, uh, famous old athletes who are maybe disadvantaged by the financial systems. But, you know, Zelmo Beatty, you see his statistics. You don't know what he went through. If there was just, I'm not even saying the CBA where Timothy Musgov gets $80 million. If there was just an equitable pay structure, we'd have gotten more years, more appreciation, more everything of a guy like Zelmo Beatty and probably hundreds more like him. I don't know. It just, it seems like the uh, parsimonious nature of sports back then diminished the experience and the history a little bit. That's what this teaches me. Uh, Probably. Um, It was like anything else. It was a struggle, you know, over, um, in a way, the player's kind of became unionized so the salaries could go up but before that i think i told you they it was really a struggle yeah you know to get to get the pay just a little of the pay they should have received so i want to ask just one last question for stefan because he Uh hasn't he hasn't asked it but stefan wrote a book about scrabble called word freak and then in this article we were talking about before i mentioned that you and zelmo played scrabble Together? I'll, I'll, I'll read the quote. It said, uh, Anne might tease me about my free throw shooting or ask me about some particular play, but she knows when to be quiet. If I'm still brooding when we get home, we'll play Scrabble or Dominoes or some card game. This warmed my heart, Anne. Just the image oh, of you yeah. and Zelmo playing Scrabble in 1965. <laughs> you should have seen him play, um, what's the money game with the kid, Monopoly with the kids? Uh-huh. <laughs> and they still talk about it. He was terrible. He would not let them win. <laughs> <laughs> what about Scrabble? Did you actually play a bunch? Well, yeah, but see, Scrabble, now remember, guys don't spell very well. Guys <laughs> don't <laughs> spell. <laughs> well, during that time, I'll take that back. Maybe, no, today they probably can. This right. guy spells very well. Yeah, right. The error of men spell. misspelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Giving so, rise to the phrase man spell. You manspelled that. <laughs> yeah, we talk we talk a lot about how, you know, things have changed in this country, like athletes getting paid more, but people don't talk about how men are better at spelling <laughs> than they spelling. than they were fifty years ago. Um, uh, you think they are today with all the uh technology? <laughs> no, it's become it's become more gender equitable though. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and we love talking to you again. Hope you have a great uh holiday. Uh, thank you. Thanks for calling and remembering Zelmo. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right. It, pre- it, is our, it is our honor, Ann. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. And that is it for us for 2016. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at hangup at slate.com. We'll also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Subscribe in iTunes. You can find us at iTunes.com slash Slate Podcasts. If you liked this year-end show, if you liked what we did this year, please leave us a comment and a rating. It helps us out. Become a fan of Hang Up and Listen on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hang Up and Listen. Our intern is Shane Monahan. Our producer is Mickey Capper. 
The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Lichtai, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Hang up and listen as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Remember Zalmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.